Welcome to the Clay Young Show. So this week, it's a little bit different than what we did last week with Richard Condon. We had a great time talking with Richard and Anna from Condon, Un- Condon Uncensored on Eagle 98.1. This week, our guest is former Baton Rouge Police Chief Pat Inglade, and it was a very passionate discussion about law enforcement, reflections on the community as a whole right now, and uh, my take on the way we are talking about this issue with law enforcement in the, in the media versus the lack of attention paid to the young men and women who are getting murdered in inner city communities who deserve the same amount of attention, the same amount of respect and regard, but they're not getting it, and it's just treat it like it's okay. And we need to do something about that. And so I talk about that a little bit in the podcast. Welcome to the show, and I'm glad you're here. Hopefully you enjoy this conversation. Look forward to hearing from you. As always, we ask you to hit that subscribe button to download the show. If you haven't, you don't have to worry about... uh, If you haven't, you should do it, because if you do it, you don't have to worry about... Uh, going to the site to download it, it'll pop into your pop podcast app on the uh, on your iPhone or your iPad or your Apple computer. If you're using a Droid, as I've heard so many people say, I don't have an Apple computer. I'm using a Droid. Well, just go to the website and you can pull it down that way at podcast two two five dot com. Look forward to having you guys hear this show and then give me your feedback on Facebook. I'm Clay Young on Facebook, easy to find, and on Twitter, at ClayYoungBR. Would love a follow from you there. And on Facebook, I generally communicate back with people who direct message me or send a request. And with that, we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk with former Baton Rouge police chief and personal friend, Pat Inglade, who's a good man, who sits with us for about an hour. That's next here on The Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. Have you ever wanted to host your own podcast? Coming soon, Clay Young Enterprises and Podcast 225 will be giving you your big chance. You'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment to create a podcast that you can be proud of. You'll have an engineer and a professional show open and close. The Clay Young Show is already considered one of the best podcasts in the state. Get the same audio quality and professional packaging for your very own podcast. Stay tuned for more details. Your chance to have your own show is coming soon. This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Back with former Baton Rouge Police Chief Pat Inglade, who's been a friend of mine. Uh oh, let's see, a long time. We met when we met when Bobby was uh, Bobby Simpson was still the mayor, and you served under him. And you were chief only under his administration after having been a cop for how long? Uh, Well, I was there thirty-one and a half years, and I was chief for four. Four years. What did you, if you had to sum up your time as chief, what's the one word you would use to describe it? Oh, good gracious. <laughs> <laughs> Serial killers. I guess. Serial killers. Yeah, that's that's I right. I had five of them. You know, we were going to talk, we, there, there's a, a more current events issue that we're going to talk about. And I told you once, we, I, I did want to talk with you and spend a, a considerable amount of time on yeah, that. Yeah, we need a long time. Yeah, because, uh, but, but it, is, it is a fascinating story that most people have never got to hear. Maybe save those who read your story about it. But for the most part, it's, 
I remembered us talking at the time, and man, you held it together in a in a in a space in Baton Rouge history that most people will never understand what was happening behind the scenes. No way. It was get a little closer to that, Mike. It, you can pull it. Was, it, little, it was. Uh, I, I can't even describe it. It, it was a. It was very traumatic for a lot of people, yeah. and my family included. Absolutely. You know, you think about it. It is. It was before Facebook and Twitter. Uh, it, thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was before the clamor for news and information, even though it was beginning, because we're only talking about maybe 12, 11, 12 years ago, not right. that long ago. And media outlets were all involved. National media was paying attention. There was Sean Michael Gillis. There was. Uh, Derek Todd Lee, there was, who was the other one when the trifecta was going on? Was it Guillory? Uh, yes, and, and then on top of that, I had Mohammed and, and Malvo. Ma- Ma- and Lee Malvo snipers. and, yeah, yeah. They and killed a young lady on uh, Florida Boulevard. Absolutely. That was the launching point to what they ended up going and doing in Washington, D.C. Correct, correct. I think they went from here to Alabama somewhere. Uh, it was their next stop where they ended up killing someone. So, Well, you know, I just remembered at the time, with, and, and again, this is a conversation we can we'll spend an hour just talking about that. But I just remembered us talking and I remember the story you told me. And this is kind of a tease for the next time we talk about the, the evening you got home when you had gotten Lee and you were home alone. And it just washed over you that this chapter in a book of chapters had least had at least come to an end. And we'll talk about that. I don't think people think about law enforcement in terms of what y'all are going through when you're trying to catch someone who is murdering people. Well, you can imagine the stress of knowing that for every minute that goes by, there could be another body and it's on you. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's any more stress than that anywhere in the world. I mean, you, you literally... If you don't catch this guy, then he's going to kill somebody else. There was no question about that. How angry did you get with some in the media based upon how, the way things were happening? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't blame the media for reporting. Mm-hmm. What I didn't appreciate was them coming out and saying things that were not correct and then then us having to correct that and spend time trying to correct bad rumors or false things that they were putting out that right not they just didn't do a good job of venting uh, or vetting mm-hmm. the information before they put it out and then we had to end up correcting it spending valuable time trying to do that could you imagine having to go through that period now with social media no. being what it is no i i, I have thought about that yeah and, of course, anybody can say anything they want to say, and trying to pull all that back, is, it would be almost impossible. And, and with, I mean, it was minute by minute, and you know, this was this was before Katrina and Rita and Wilma and all of the stuff that was going on. Then it basically kind of hit Baton Rouge. I mean, all at once. I mean, it, all of a sudden, you got one, and then another, and then another, and then this thing happening in D.C. And then you're thinking, oh wow, wait a minute, they were here. Oh, wait a minute. They killed somebody here and all of that in little old Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah. So go ahead. Go it, ahead. It may be the single most uh, 
traumatic time in the history of Baton Rouge that we had that much going on as far as just uh, sociopaths, psychopaths, working within a one area in any given time in any city in this country. As police chief, what was probably, the two questions, what was the most disappointing thing that you ever saw? Something that as chief you looked at and it just made you very, serial killers aside, made you very disappointed in the city and the area that you were policing as the, you know, the, the, the chief law enforcement officer of the city, something that disappointed you greatly. I think the, the and, and I think it's, it still stands today, was getting people to understand uh, the root causes of what crime is and, mm-hmm. and what they can do to help. Right. And, and I, th- I spent a tremendous amount of time in North Baton Rouge during my, I grew up in North right. Baton Rouge. Right, that's right. I was going to ask him about that. And, and, and I could see it where it was going. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we pulled out all stops to try to make that uh, erosion in North Baton Rouge slow down or stop. And, and as you know, it, it's still continuing to deteriorate to this day. I mean, yep. there has been no uh, stopping uh, what has happened in North Baton Rouge. And I, I don't think it's because people have not paid that much attention to it. I mean, government. Yeah. But I think it's the people themselves have not taken responsibility to try to make it better. Self, I, you mean self-reliance and, and the people in the area or well, the city I, in general? I, I went, I can't tell you the number of neighborhood meetings and, and, and times I met with clergy and, and, and the uh, religious factions in, mm-hmm. in North Baton Rouge and said, I need your help, let's, let's pull this together. And, and there were a lot of promises made. Yeah. And and uh, I never did see them come together to say, you know, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. We need to say what it is, and let's go after it. Right. I, I, that was very disappointing to me. What did you think it was? I don't know. I don't know if it was culture. Uh, I, I really don't know. I, I think there's always been a little reluctance uh for the community to accept police uh, for what they're really trying to accomplish. Uh, and I think that's probably a lot what's going on in this country today mm-hmm. is that per- police are always going to be perceived as the bad guys. I, I don't know if there's anything we're going to ever do to change that. When did that start, in your opinion? Oh, I, I think as long as police have been around. I, I think that everything they do centers around people's crisis or they perceive it as something bad going on. Mm-hmm. Even even giving a, uh, a ticket to somebody. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's not a good event. Uh most people never see police in any other situation except a crisis situation. Yeah, uh, and, and that's the, the the sad part of it because I think police basically become police officers to do the right thing and try to help people. Yeah. I, I think that's their goal. Yeah, and, and it was always kind of the common joke in the police department when you asked a, a, somebody that was wanting to become a policeman, "Why do you want to become a police? I want to help people." Mm-hmm. I think that became the standard. Now, I, I know there are people that just like to 
put on a badge and, 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 and like the power of the yeah. gun. But yeah. I yeah. think the majority of people, it, it is a terribly hard job. And largely thankless in a it, lot of ways, it is. too, right? I mean, you're certainly not doing it for the pay. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> and and you're ridiculed almost every day yeah. from one faction or another. And, and you see things that are so horrible that yeah. you will never get them out of your mind. I mean, I can go back 32 years, 35 years in my mind and still see things that I wish I never saw. Yeah, that was going to, you know, the, the, the other question, and because uh, I want to delve into and spend the bulk of our time talking about what's happening now is something you saw as a, as a law enforcement officer, either as chief or just as a member of the ranking, rank and file that made you so proud to wear that shield, to wear the badge and, and do what you did every day. Well, I, you know, I think Baton Rouge has a, a wonderful police department. I really do. I think over the over the last few decades, uh, we've had some good chiefs that have, have done a lot uh, for the right reason. Right. Uh, it wasn't power trips. They, they actually wanted to become chief to try to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen the department grow over the years into, you know, a, a standard for what police departments ought to be in this sure. country. Sure, sure. And, and I was proud to, to, to be a part of that organization. I still am. I still brag about how good the police department is. I think they've set a standard uh, for what they do and how they do it. And it was always uh, my feelings that nobody did it better than us. Mm-hmm. I, I saw where... You know, there were times when, and you see it quite a bit in, in this country around, when there's a serious incident in, in a city, then, then the, the police department will move over and say, okay, we're going to allow either the FBI or the sheriff's office or the state police to come in yeah. and, and help us do this. Yeah. I, I didn't think that was necessary. I thought we had the best <laughs> You of had the it best. covered, right. Well, I think that was what we tried to accomplish. I think that, that our homicide detectives worked. And that's, I know that's a horrible thing to say, but we had so much experience in working homicides that yeah. I just didn't think anybody could do any better than we could. And, and I think that, that when I left, I, you know, my, my goal is in my life, and, and I may have told you this before, was my daddy told me when I was a kid that, you know, when you borrow something, you always give it back better than you borrowed it. Yeah. You know, if you borrow somebody's lawnmower, you make sure you clean it up and that's give right. it back to them better than you got it. Boy, is that a lost virtue in society yeah, now. Yeah, and, and that's what I wanted to do with the police department. I, I didn't own it. I, I I borrowed it for a while. Yeah. I tried to do the best I could. Sure. And when I left, I hoped I left it in better shape than mm-hmm. when I got there. That was my goal. Well, you know, the, the Baton Rouge Police Department now, as you know, is moving into this uh, – facility that used to be the woman's hospital uh here in baton rouge and it's a big undertaking because they've got to kind of gut it and parts of it retrofit it to make it feasible for law enforcement to use it's a pretty big job but do you think looking long term that that's a good decision that 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 will help uh, you know the the police department accomplish its main goal which is to keep the city safe no Okay, why not? Well, I, you know, I, we, we've had plans in place for years uh, about building a specific facility for police department. Sure. That 
that has taken place probably by every chief since I've been there. And, mm-hmm. and we've always been kind of the redheaded stepchildren of government. Mm-hmm. Uh, we needed our own place. We yeah. needed designed for us and built for us because there are specific needs that a police department needs that not just everybody else needs. Right. And and I know from what I've heard, it's been a tremendous undertaking Expensive. to go in there for, I mean, there must be, there must be 10,000 toilets and sinks in that place yeah. that, that, that have to be, there's no shortage of bathrooms right. is what I've been told. Because it was but, a hospital. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't know the, I can't see the department taking that whole space up. Yeah. And I, was it a good price? Probably. Yeah. What's it going to cost to fix it and retrofit it in as to what the department needs? I have no idea. Do you, do you think it would have been cheaper long term just to go ground up and get a space and then build a facility that's custom designed for a law enforcement organization? Absolutely. That's yeah. what everybody does. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are certain needs. You, you have to have academy space, and it has specific mm-hmm. needs. And you have to have interrogation needs, and those are very specific. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you need something that makes the government, I mean the public itself, feel better about coming into and, yeah. and, and doing their business there. Because there's a lot of – the public does a lot of business with the police. You really oh, absolutely. Don't, you know, you don't know that, but it is – that that place never stops. I mean, there's yeah. always people there looking for accident reports mm-hmm. or police reports, mm-hmm. or uh, so. There's a lot of public kind, uh, you know, c- connection there. And uh, you know, originally when we did the, the, I mean, the blueprints and everything were done. They were mm-hmm. drawn up, and I thought it was, you know, there was a lot of input that went into that. And I really thought it would have been you know, more specific. I mean, it seems that they made that room for everybody to fire EMS. Everybody else got their, you know, their own drawing and, and, and place in place. So, uh, have you, have you seen, uh, seen SIDS, the Sheriff Gotro's facility out there in North Baton Rouge? No, I have not. Uh, I've, I got a chance to look at, uh, most of it a couple years or so back. And obviously that's for the Sheriff's office here. And there was a push to get a consolidation between the two. Do you think that's a good idea to put them in the same building? Probably not. Yeah. I know that there's – when I first started with the police department, there was a very unusual bad sentiment between the police department and the sheriff's office. Really? Why? It was horrible. That uh, We had a police chief that did not like the sheriff. Mm. And, Sheriff Litchfield, was well, it? No, it was no. before Litchfield. It was before Litchfield. Huh. Wow. And uh, and and Litchfield actually was very professional sheriff. I yeah. Mean, he's former FBI. And, and the times had, that I was around him, he, he just, held himself. Yeah. Very Seemed like he was a gentleman. But, but there, you, you go back and 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 I'm not saying that the the sheriff or the police chief were completely responsible mm-hmm. for the bad feelings, but there was this competition ah. that 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 began to to surface and and that did no good for anybody right i mean in a lot of circumstances competition is good because somebody wants to uh, you know there somebody gets to it faster but there has got to be communication absolutely uh, between these agencies uh, you know when 
Nobody thinks about it, but when I was running the task force during the, the, the league situation, I had at least 10 different organizations reporting to me. Now, that could have been a very difficult situation and uh, because everybody, they didn't actually work for me except right. during that period of time. Sure. But we, we kind of laid down the ground rules at the beginning and said, you know, uh, here's the situation. You're going to leave your badges at the door and your mm-hmm. egos at the door. You work for this task force and you answer to me. The buck stops with me and we're, we're not competing. We're working as a team to yeah. try to make this, you know, let's keep our eyes on the prize. To and get then, this animal off the absolutely. street. Absolutely. That's, that's what you had to keep telling them every day that I don't care who catches this person. Mm-hmm long as he gets caught that's yeah. the that's the idea behind what we're right. trying to do here so I, i've seen that come a long long way i mean i was t- we were told and i worked detectives most of my career i stayed in uniform patrol very short time i got lucky and uh, a captain believed in me and said you probably need to be in investigation so i was in there for a long time mm-hmm. but when i was was told you will not share this information with EBRSO. I had a problem with that. Uh, uh, and 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 so why do you I, think that was? I mean, oh, I think politics. Politics. Yeah, there's politics in everything. And yeah. But what's the goal? I mean, when you when you talk about intergovernmental office politics, there's all either somebody is trying to get themselves ahead, and they don't want the their counterpart to get ahead of them in the run, or you know, or it's something else even even more nefarious than that. But there's always a reason when you see these agencies. I mean, you've been around it a lot. I've been around it. When they're competing, one of them wants something that they probably ought not have. That's true. <laughs> well, ego plays a huge yeah. part in it, too. I can beat my chest and say I did it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and I don't know why that becomes so important to people mm-hmm. because – we're not talking about winning a football game. Right. We're, we're talking about life and death now. Right. And nothing should matter more than that. Uh, I'm sorry, but that's the bottom line. When you look at the way the city has uh, has grown in some ways, changed in other ways in the 11 or so years since you left command at the Baton Rouge Police Department, what are your reflections? I don't like Baton Rouge. Tell me about it. I, well, I grew up in Baton Rouge. I've okay. never been anywhere else but Baton Rouge. Okay. And, and I think that somewhere on, along the line that in, in, since I've left, we've, we've taken more of a turn to not necessarily worry about the whole city but worry about certain parts of it. And that bothers okay. me. Elaborate. Downtown. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with a great downtown. Sure. I, I think that, you know, if everybody wants to uh, go downtown and enjoy themselves, I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. I just don't think the rest of Baton Rouge should suffer for downtown. How is the? How do you think the rest of the town is suffering? Well, leave leave downtown and, and head north and, and get on, you know, get on uh, Chippewa Street and mm-hmm. head on down into and get on either Scenic Highway or Plank Road, and that's all you need to do. Yeah, uh, that's no a, real development out there. Well, it's 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 complete. It's almost like a uh, a war zone. Yeah, uh, the buildings are all deteriorated. Uh, it, it's just it's become 
what you want no city to become. Sure. Uh, it's they, There's no stores left open. These people have nowhere. Uh, nobody wants to invest any money uh, mm-hmm. in North Baton Rouge. If it wasn't for Tony's and, and – uh, and Krispy Kreme donuts. I mean, there wouldn't be anything left in North Baton Rouge. Honestly. Okay, so from from a business owner's perspective, if a business owner is looking to build, generally speaking, the bottom line is the bottom line. You, if you invest in something, you're hoping to make money. The thing that counterbalances making money often in this area is crime. Why would I invest? A million dollars, two million dollars, three million dollars and some multi-level investment, real estate investment that is going to be commercial in a part of town. If I'm worried about windows being kicked in I'm, and I'm talking on the just playing devil's advocate, if windows are going to be kicked in, if customers are going to be accosted and because of all of this, my cost of operation is higher because I've got all this other stuff to deal with. What's your answer to business people who say I can't I can't afford the investment because of the upkeep? Well, it's true. I don't know that I can. I don't know if I can argue with that. You know, if you've got to pay a policeman or a couple of policemen or security guards to stay in your establishment around the clock right. and watch your place, uh, then then that's something that. I mean, everybody in business is looking for a bottom line. Oh yeah. And, and if you're paying security more than you're paying. Uh, your employees uh, and 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 what you have to do to stay open, mm-hmm. then that becomes kind of a no-brainer. I mean, it's you, you're actually you're going to find property cheaper, absolutely. Sure. But sure. but what's it going to cost you to run it? At There's that a reason point? it's cheap. Uh, if you look at you know I I know that uh, retail places, and I'm talking mostly fast food places, sure, McDonald's sure. and Burger King and yeah. those people. You know, they count heads and cars. That's, mm-hmm. that's what they do. And they also look at the location. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you take the Catholic diocese, who, who and I've had some of my recent issues with them because of the Redemptor's House. Oh, I'm going to ask you about that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they made a determination that, it, you know, when, you, when a Catholic school makes a determination that it's no longer feasible. Yeah. To fight that fight in North Baton Rouge, it says a lot. I mean, I I was told that that would never happen, but it happened anyway. And, and I think that's, you know, I've the Pizzolatta family are very good friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Been with Tony Seifert. Sure. they've been friends of mine since so we grew up together. Mm-hmm. And and they, Bill, who's the president, made a commitment that he was going to stay there. I mean, he's had a million opportunities to go elsewhere. Oh, absolutely. Bill could go build a state of the art facility on anywhere and right down the road from here yeah i mean he he can pay cash for that if he wants but he made a commitment to north baton rouge that he would stay there and service those people and if you've ever been around there during lunchtime or saturdays and sundays i mean the number of people that go in and out of there is just unbelievable oh it's one of the it's one of the most notable spots in this town especially during crawfish season. I mean, you know, it's, I know he makes a buttload of money over there uh, and, and rightfully so because it's a special place. Uh, let, me, let me throw this at you. So I agree with you that North Baton Rouge has not seen the level of attention it deserves. Starts, in my opinion, with educating the kids. And when I mean educating them, I mean giving them an opportunity at jobs. And that doesn't always mean a four-year institution or even a two-year institution. It, it 
starts with having a skill or a talent that someone will pay you to employ on their behalf, right? Absolutely. And I had this conversation yesterday with a candidate for Bessie, and I said, we don't train kids to be welders and plumbers and, um, you know, carpenters and all those things, skills that you can employ right now in 2015 and make some money. And we don't talk about that. We push them towards college, and some kids are not going to be college students. How do you think we are addressing young people in that regard and preparing them to pull themselves up so they don't have to live in poverty? We haven't done it, and that's the problem. Yeah. We haven't. I, I, we had a plan, uh, Bill Pizzolatta, myself, and a couple of other people, uh, talked with the Diocese of Baton Rouge because we saw uh, what was happening to Redemptors. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm using this as an example because we felt like there were a large number of those students there that were not going to go to a four-year college. Right. They, they, they were not equipped to go. They did not want to go. Uh, we had some plans in place to try to bring in some technical colleges to be a part of the curriculum yeah. at Redemptress for these kids that, that, that needed to do something else. Some kind of vocational Absolutely. training. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, today, try to find anybody that wants to do anything. Hell, try to find some of these kids who can change a tire, man. That, that nobody, it's, we've, we've become a generation of entitlement. I'm yeah. sorry, it just has. But, you, but, but the thing is, when you take certain things out of the schools, you steal initiative from them. Physical education, pretty much gone. The kind of teams, the, the team camaraderie and things you do in school, pretty much gone. Woodworking, home ec, home ec, man. All these things that where you learn these skills as a kid that you can employ when you're an adult, well, you don't have them. And then what do you do? You depend on somebody else to do it for you because you nobody ever taught you to do it. And you add that to homes where children don't have parents who are investing in them to teach them how to do the simple things. You really have a screwed up gumbo then. So, I mean, part... Part of this is on us for allowing people in government to make such dumb decisions, right? And us as parents have to accept some responsibility, too. I, I think that all of us spoiled our kids in a lot of ways. Sure. And, and, and we're part of this problem now because they, they felt like they were entitled. Right. Uh, and... And that that's along every line that I know. I'm not speaking of blacks and whites. Oh, no, absolutely. We've all done. Absolutely. We've all wanted our children not to suffer and and wanted the best for them. But I think, on the other hand, we've we've done a disservice to them also by not saying, you know, this afternoon, I don't need to tell you to cut that grass. You better go start it because I didn't have a choice. (laughs) Oh, man. But but these kids today, there's a yard crew that shows up, (laughs) if you can find one, because nobody wants to do anything anymore, that comes and cuts the grass. So there's none of that that's uh, made to do that anymore. I had a kid. This is a funny story, and it's sad at the same time, but – we were we had just graduated a class at the academy, uh-huh. and, and uh, you know they were proud. They were walking around, and and we always kind of have a little show at the end where we say, you know, you've done your your deal. You've you've got through the academy, and here's here's what you're going to do. We're going to give you a police car, and you're going to go out, and and you're going to become one of Baton Rouge's finest now. 
And we had some cars lined up. And just like anything else, there's a, there's a reason why you do things. And seniority means a lot. It's seniority-based department anyway. Right. Senior officers uh, get the better cars. Mm-hmm. They get they get the you know when when that's the way it should be. You, yeah, you've earned your your keep. Absolutely. So we we hand those cars down, and I had a, a kid walked up to me and he said, "That's my car," and I said, "Yes." He said, "We don't get a new car." And I just, I, I kind of got set back a little bit, and, and I, you know, it was one of my, it was an inglade moment where I started <laughs> rubbing my head, and, and, and I looked at him, and I said, son, I don't even know how to, how to address that. First of all, you're not going to have a car to start with now. You've just, you've made my decision for me. <laughs> and, and and let me explain something else to you. I'm not your dad. Right. You know, you work for the city of Baton Rouge and the people of Baton Rouge, and they really don't care what you drive. No. As long as you show up, Absolutely. they don't care. Right. Uh, if you're up on a bike or a horse or whatever you're on, they don't care. They, right. they want, and, and, and if your dad gave you a, a new car every year to show his appreciation because you're his kid, that's great. He's an idiot, though. Uh, but but that's not what we do here. Right. So uh, you just earned yourself not a car for, for about six months, and we'll see how you enjoy it from now on. <laughs> wow. But that's, you know, that's that wow. entitlement that, that uh, you know. And it's, it's blind like, entitlement. Well, well, it's like these people that, that, you know, after six months on the police department, they want to bitch about how much money they make. Right. And I'm thinking, did you not know the salary six months ago when you joined? It right. was very – it was explained to you. Oh, yeah. But now you want to say, oh, I'm underpaid. Well, you knew what you were going to be paid when you got here. Right. And, and of course, I don't think police make enough. No? I, 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 I th- you know, I, that, that will always be a bone. I, I, I went head-to-head with Mayor Simpson over pay issues with the police. And, I, I remember, and that wasn't any fun. But yeah. I've always believed that police officers should be paid for what they do because yeah. nobody really wants to do that job, but a select few. Yeah, it's no fun. I promise me. I, I, uh, I it, it was, uh, it's a job that's not appreciated, and it, it puts your family through hell most of the time. Yeah, and uh, especially now. Especially now. So let's transition to to this, and I want to spend the rest of the time talking about this. The climate in America as it relates to law enforcement. You spent 30-plus years of your life in law enforcement. In the last 16 months, there has been a heightened attention to what's happening with the hundreds of thousands of law enforcement people across the greatest country. I don't know where we're headed, but we're on an ominous path. I think you would agree. Absolutely. And unless something is done, I think there is going to be an implosion of sorts. And I don't know what that looks like, but it's in the air. So a lot of this started with confrontations between white officers and black males, okay? And it has been spun into something else by lots of people who are chiming in. Now, I'll be honest with you. The situation with Eric Garner in New York, 
I didn't agree with law enforcement. Guy was on the ground, on his belly. He's being choked. I don't know the circumstances because I'm only looking at a video. I don't see the, the, the entire context. But based upon what I saw, I just didn't think that that was necessary. I don't know that I agree that what happened with Freddie Gray in the back of that van was necessary. And there's so many stories going on around it. But the way it looked, to me, it didn't pass the smell test. But there are other situations where I think law enforcement deserve the benefit of the doubt based upon what we know, and it never happens. So that's how I want to open this up, and I want to get your feedback, because you've done it. I have not. I don't disagree with you on that. It's, and as somebody that had to make those decisions every day mm-hmm. about whether somebody did something within the guidelines of policy or the law, was not always black and white every right. day. It, 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 there was a lot. Now, today, with all the cell phones and the video that's available, everything's being recorded, uh, it, it gives people a little bit better idea because mm-hmm. most of the time you were just taking officers' words or sure. witness statements or anybody else you could rely on. Witness statements are usually very sometimes unreliable. Right. And, and because it just... It depends on how people perceive things. That, that's right. I am I am one of these people that is not going to tell you that every police officer does exactly what they're supposed to do every day. Right. I, I am one of these that believes that police should be held to a higher standard. Somebody on the street that gets involved with somebody and beats them down uh, did not take an oath to uphold the law. Mm-hmm. And so that police officer did. He should be held to a higher standard. Uh, I I really have a strong feeling about police officers that do not do the right thing. Uh, I, I try not to put myself, uh, you know, even though I had to do that quite a bit, I try not to put myself in a position of trying to second guess what's going through police officers mind right when it's going i don't know what fear they felt adrenaline it takes a huge Mm -hmm. uh uh part of what's going on here Uh, and and it becomes almost in the case of where uh you see it all the time when somebody's pursuing somebody that adrenaline is about to blow out of your body yeah and and every time they catch the person there's usually something bad that's going to happen just right. because this guy made me do this and now my adrenaline will, i mean it's it's a it's a drug and and it's really hard to control sometimes and but police have to be better at it so having said that dealing with those instances there is a tone among many in the public that it's okay to go after law enforcement This man in Houston who was shot, you know, like an animal in the street. Here, the young man who left behind a wife and an unborn child was killed. A few weeks ago, we see something similar. Down in uh, South Louisiana, this trooper who was shot. I have a problem with the, the narrative that this is okay that this is taking back power, that this is in any way justifiable because this creates an atmosphere that will only hurt the people who need law enforcement the most. Am I wrong? No, you're right. Uh, 
I think this blew up after Ferguson. Yeah. Uh, cities, a lot of times, have a hard time uh, dealing with police departments. It, first of all, they're probably, as I keep calling them, the redheaded stepchild, because they, they are in most cities. They, they create most of the problems for a mayor. Uh, they create tremendous amount of liability just from the nature of what they do. Mm-hmm. So they are they are easy sometimes to throw to the the side in an effort to try to appease people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what's happened in a lot of these cases. Uh, I think there were some city mayors, managers, uh, city officials that made some really poor decisions on what they should have done during some of these incidents. Give me an example. Well, for someone to allow the public to dominate a city, uh, like happened in Baltimore, yeah. is, is ridiculous. Which was pathetic. You cannot allow, and I, and I, don't, I don't care the circumstances, and, and, but, you know, as a police official, there is no way I could tell my people to stand, stand down, down and let and people's let, private property be destroyed no way they, that was there was no way that should have occurred and it set a tone in this country that it's okay right. to push the police to limits because they can't do you anything right and and i've always said police need to be respected or feared or both I mm-hmm. feared police. I still mm-hmm. do. When one gets behind, you mean me, reverential fear? You mean you mean because you they they are the authority. They have the authority to stop me and put me in jail <laughs> right. at any moment. I right. mean, going home in the afternoon, I look at a police car behind me and I'm thinking, oh, is he going to pull me over? I, I still worry about that, and and I think that that's it's a combination of me respecting the law. And, and and a good fear of the mm-hmm. police that if I do something wrong, then there are going to be consequences. Right. No consequences means there's no behavior that's going to be changed. No accountability. So we're going to we're going to loot and steal people's things out of their stores that had nothing to do with this. Right. They were innocent victims. But hell, there were people bust in from other cities to come and help with go, the rioting. Go burn down the police station if that's who's at fault. Then go pick them. Why are we stealing you? Great Goose out of a Walgreens doesn't doesn't get justice for uh, no. Mike Brown or no, whoever? It, no, it doesn't, and it, it's ridiculous that 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 even becomes part of what happens. And and I think that the government, in a large part, has has not come to the plate. And I'm not I'm not going to sit here like David Clark, Sheriff David Clark who's become Fox's favorite. Oh, yeah. Because he says what people want to hear. Right. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and bash President Obama because I don't think it matters tomorrow if if the president comes out and says, I'm tired of this and I really don't want police officers to be hurt anymore. It's too late now. Too I mean, late it's, now. Nobody's going to care anymore. Nope. What should have happened in the beginning was that you know, government should have realized that the police are the last stand between the good and the bad yeah. that happens in this country. And and when they saw police officers 
that were being executed. Yeah. And and it's gotten to that oh, point. Yeah. I mean, I shot in the head. I can't even imagine when when Warwick Dunn's mama, Betty yeah, Smothers, was right. killed in the early nineties here yeah. in Baton Rouge. That's right. It was. It, I mean, it sent shockwaves through police departments all over. Who in the hell would be that right. crazy right. to walk up to a to a car mm-hmm. and and shoot up a police officer and another lady in a car in a robbery attempt? Mm-hmm. Now. Let's give them the robbery attempt. Let's say at least they had a reason that they right. were doing it. I mean, no good reason, but they were they were trying to perform a robbery. But in this case, these are just executions. Walk up behind a guy and empty a clip in his yeah. back is for what? It's either hatred or he's crazy or a combination of those. Let me tell you something, man. <laughs> All of this attention paid to this stuff with law enforcement over the last few weeks, and I've given my opinion. There were three people shot in New Orleans, killed. All across this country, young black men are killing one another, pillaging their neighborhoods, and nobody gives a damn. Nobody cares. There are no riots when they're shooting up Plank Road or down in, uh, in New Orleans in, in one of the, the housing complexes or in Chicago or in Compton or in Inglewood or in Atlanta or in Miami or in Washington or name the city. There's no national attention. Doesn't matter. I think most of this is just crap by people who want attention. If, if black lives matter, well, why didn't they matter when they were killings during ceremonies in cities? Don't tell me. And then when I hear people say, well, it's not the same thing. You see, this thing with law enforcement is different. Shut the hell up. I can't change the channel fast enough. I think they're all hypocrites because they're young men. You remember here a few years ago, the young woman, little girl sitting at the computer in her house, bullet goes through the wall and hits her in the chest or something and kills her on the spot. Former professor at Southern getting groceries or something out of his car in North Baton Rouge, gunned down by a couple of thugs. Next to the mayor's house. Next to the mayor's house. Where were the marches then? Where were people saying, take our city back then? Don't tell me it's real right now. There are hundreds of thousands of law enforcement officers across the country. Are there a percentage of them who probably shouldn't have the job? Hell yes. Lots of them who probably shouldn't be working, but that's a minority. Just like there's a minority of teachers who ought not be in the classroom. Doctors who probably shouldn't have a medical degree. You can priests who shouldn't be uh, religious leaders. So among human beings, there are always going to be some of us who are just no good. But to to make this turn into what it is and to create this atmosphere, I've served on boards that have helped in this community for 20 years. And I've seen kids who have nothing and nobody looking out for them. And nobody comes. I was on the board of a group home here and we had people show up at the front door and drop kids off with a bag of clothes, a garbage bag filled with clothes and say, I don't want them anymore. Take them. Who's coming for them? So I don't want to hear from Washington, from the president, from Eric, uh, what the, the attorney. I don't want to hear from any of them. Because if it really matters, you'll show up in New Orleans right now where there are dead bodies in the streets. Did you did you have a rally down there for that? No. I didn't either. That's just my personal opinion about it. Prosecute people who break the law, but don't give me this movement crap. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Not on you. That one's on me. Well, we, we need to fix the problem. We don't need to fix 
the, the, the police or anybody else. The police is going to take care of themselves. The problem, the police are not going to stop homicides to any great extent. It's just There's no way to do it. If I decided, and I don't want anybody to take this wrong, but if I decided to pull my gun out and shoot you right now, Clay, there's no nobody could stop me. Law enforcement doesn't show up until most times after a crime has happened. So, I mean, you can't stop those sort of things. And so it's a root problem that has to be started. But but all these people that, that want to do good and feel like that bashing the police is somehow going to solve this problem, yeah. I, I don't understand. It's not. I, I really don't. Uh, it's. It, I think this is a buildup that people have used this excuse for years. That if now we've got actually we've got a people are listening to us and mm-hmm. we can call police, you know, pigs and let's fry them and let's do all these other things and unbelievable. Nobody's, nobody's going to do us anything. <laughs> we can say whatever we want to say or do whatever we want to do. And, and, and who's going to touch us? We're, we're free to do whatever we want to do. And I just say for all of the innocent, hardworking men and women who live in the inner city, for the kids who catch school buses and go to school and come home and don't bother anyone, don't they deserve protection? Don't they deserve attention? Shouldn't they be able to live in these neighborhoods and not be accosted? Shouldn't they just be a statistics a statistic because of the zip code they're in? Nobody talks about them. They're... they're, they're they're hooked into something they have no way out of. And they're treated like collateral damage. They are. They are. And, That's and, not and, right. You know, for a child uh, in kindergarten to tell you that, that they know uh, what gunshots are like and, and, and to see what they see at that age, what do we expect them to be? When they, that's, that's what they know. They know no better. Ch- children learn from their surroundings. And if their surroundings are crime, and it's okay to shoot somebody. Uh, I, I got to carry a gun because everybody else is carrying a gun. I really don't want to carry right. one, but I got to because yeah. everybody else has got one. If I don't, w- what happens if somebody comes after me? I, I mean, that's what these kids are forced into. Yeah. They have no choice. If you, It's the old picking sides here. If you're on the wrong side uh, and you become a target, you've got very little chance of surviving if 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 they decide that you're gonna need to be taken out and that's the problem in all likelihood pat this this movement this thing that's going on is probably going to die down because these things rise up and die down i just pray that by the time it dies down there hasn't been so much damage done that we it will take us years to recover from it but it, it or or I I pray it doesn't evolve into something worse. Either way, there were three people shot in New Orleans today, and it makes the news for a cycle, and then it's done. And then another shooting happens, and nobody cares. And that, to me, is the major problem, that that is so so expected that it's it's like white noise. We don't hear it. (laughs) And that's the thing that frustrates me. Let's let's bring some more state troopers to New Orleans. That's the answer. Mm. Let, let's let's you know. <laughs> I, 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 I just I, I, I no accountability and and thro- I, I remember talking to a trooper down there. I was down there a few months ago, and uh, talking to one of the guys there, and I just I told him thank you for your service, and talked about being down there, 
And, you know, his position was, you know, we're going to do what we're asked to do. But to paraphrase what he said is, you know, the people have to take their city. They have to take accountability for themselves. Because, again, like you said, most law enforcement offices are called after the deal is the deal is done. Well, you know, this and this is I don't know this new I have a problem with this whole new concept that we can't handle our own city. And I'm talking about a major police yeah. department yeah. in a major city. Absolutely. Is and and more money has been thrown at, at New Orleans since Katrina than, than we probably can count. I yeah. don't I don't know how much. How they haven't adjusted that to meet the needs of what they needed to do with their police department, I have no clue. I mean I'm not I'm not a big fan of New Orleans, but uh, you know how they become this. But as a, as a police administrator, to, to go to my mayor and say, "You need to bring me to the state police in here because I can't handle this," I would resign. Yeah, I would be so ashamed that I couldn't do my job. Right. That I would say, Mayor, this is what you need to do. I don't want the state police. I this is my house. I got to clean it. Mm-hmm. And and first of all. The police chief or commissioner, or whatever they call him, and, and superintendent in New Orleans, he has no control over those state troopers. Yeah, they, they don't answer to him. I, I don't understand how they. You know, what would you do differently? Let, let, let's let's drill down on that in the major cities because wherever there are major cities and there's major poverty, there's going to be major crime. It's a reality that's existed for decades, and we know that where you find the most crime, where people have the least. And the government thinks that this is a political problem, that political decisions will fix this. Give people an opportunity at jobs. Keep the bad guys off the streets, period. But even more than that, that's a simplification. If you're the police chief in New Orleans, seeing what it is, what would you do? Well, New Orleans, Clay, had a very unique opportunity. And I'm not going to call Katrina an opportunity, but it, it, it created an opportunity for New Orleans to get itself back in line. How so? It it, it was almost like let's blow it up and start all over because that's literally what happened mm-hmm. in New Orleans. But when we build it back, let's fix it right. Let yeah. let's build this. I mean, the stories that were told during Katrina about police officers deserting and they were the ones looting stores. And I don't I don't have a clue whether any of that's true or not. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would hope that's not true, but. But there was an opportunity to, to clean that department up and, and go back and fix it and, and make sure that the monies that were being allocated to New Orleans at that time were going. Because they knew this was going to be a tough road to come back from. Yeah, They knew crime was going to be a part of what was going to resurface once things started coming back. So the, the, the people in charge at that point should have said, okay, then when we come back, let's fix it right. We, we need this many police officers to, to, to do the job that's needed in New Orleans now. So that's going to be our goal. Let, let's put this together and make this work. And for some reason, I don't know where, where all that got distracted or, or put aside, and, and it never did. New Orleans has never recovered with its police department the way it should have. 
And, and I don't know if the numbers had something to do with it or not. Uh, you know, New Orleans took a, it took them a while to come back. Sure. Uh, people to get back into the city. So hiring probably wasn't easy. But yeah. now, you know, they should, they should have set the, the standard for we're going to pay our police officers. We're, we're going to make this a model agency. I mean, New Orleans has been plagued for years and years with, with things that have, you know, that they, they got they got caught cheating on their uh, on their crime stats, mm-hmm. and, and the FBI yeah. came in and slapped them all around. The, the, the feds have come in, and, and judges have, you know, taken over the yeah. running of the, the department. Those, yeah. are, those are things that you can't run a department with, with, with all those things hanging over you. And why somebody hasn't made a decision that, you know, it wasn't a secret that New Orleans was, was in bad shape police-wise. And why not take the opportunity to fix it? Why that was never made, I don't know. I, I don't know if, you, I don't know if you blame politics or, you know, I it's have a very no political yeah, time. I don't know what was going on down there, but w- when they attempted to fix it, it, it still broke. What do you think about, uh, and, and we'll wrap up on this, the, the racial stuff that's being stirred up across the country, right? You know, with, with some of the figures who are popping up now and turning everything into a racial issue. People are either good or bad, in my opinion, based upon the decisions they make. You know, you either make a good decision or you make a poor decision. You're either a criminal or you're not. Are there racists out there? Absolutely there are. But... When you inject it into every part of everything that goes on, it creates a problem. And here's what I think the problem is. When someone screams racism when it doesn't exist, all it does is become a boy who cried wolf syndrome over a period of time. And when someone may have been discriminated against because of some racial reason, it gets lumped in with everything else. You're a law enforcement guy. You had to protect the city. Didn't matter what they looked like. You had to protect the innocent. What do you think about how this, how the racial narrative that's out there, and it's spinning even harder now than maybe in recent years, how is that impacting what, what law enforcement people are doing? I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's, I think it's the easy way out. I think you're exactly right. If, if I'm not being treated a certain way, it's because of who I am and my, uh, and my color. Right. It's not because what I did. Right. And, and I think that's where this is getting lost. Uh, I, I'm, I don't know if I've ever seen it this bad, Clay. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been around for a long time. Uh, I was I was here, and, and I'm older than you. You're you're still a kid. <laughs> but, but I don't know that but, I agree with that, well, but I certainly appreciate were it. Were you here? <laughs> were, were you around? You know, in, in the late '60s, early '70s, when Vietnam and and that was going on, where Vietnam soldiers were coming back and and being called baby killers and being spit on and yeah. and humiliated, and you know. The term pig originated back there in that yeah. era because these all these dope smokers felt that the police were infringing on their rights to do all the dope they needed. Mm-hmm. Those were white people. They started the word pig. Right. So, you know, it, it, it's it's cyclical. You know, yeah. that these things go. And, and But what, what I hate to see now is that it has caused a bigger division in the races than it than it, I've ever seen. It yeah. really has. It, and 
and and that's the shame of this is that we we're not seeing things for what they are. Right. Uh, we we we've color coded everything, and now uh, we want to blame it because uh, of color and not because of what it is, and right. that's the problem. I, I think we. You know, I think anybody that does anything wrong should accept responsibility. But yep. just to say that the only reason they're doing it to me is because I'm black or, you know, we, we've had, we get as many complaints against black police officers on black uh public as we yeah. did white oh, yeah. nobody raises an issue about that why yeah. yeah is that okay that a black policeman beats up a black but when a white does it it's wrong it's all wrong it, it's, I, don't, right. I don't understand why that you know because it's easy and i and i hate that in this country because you know i, I am just sick to my stomach of what what has happened in this country now as far as police being targeted for for trying to do their jobs and innocent people like the ones you discussed a little yeah. while ago yeah. that have done absolutely nothing but this whole situation that, that's evolved now. And, and government, I'm going to tell you, should have stood up a long time ago and, and Congress or whoever, you hear nothing out of these people. No. And I'm not asking them to say, oh, well, you know, let's do some some studies and let's pay some consultants millions of dollars <laughs> to try and fix this. You know, you do it with, with putting your foot down. President Obama could have said at one point, because he has no problem calling out the Justice Department when he thinks some kid's been mishandled on the streets of the inner city somewhere. Right. But he has the power to say the police are the last line between good and bad right. in this country, whether you like that or not. Mm-hmm. I, if he was mistreated by a policeman when he was 18 years old, I'm sorry. And and there's a lot of people that have been that way. And, 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 and I feel bad for people that have been abused by police. But he has to step over that. He leads this country. And even if he has bad feelings towards the police for whatever reason, he is right and his duty is to protect the citizens of this country. And if he had to beat his chest and say, even though I don't believe this, I'm going to send, I want Congress to enact legislation that Anybody that shoots a police officer in this country will not only face a death penalty uh, problem in the state they're in, but we're going to enact a federal death penalty. We're go- if they think there's a way out, there's none. We're right. going to stop this in its tracks. Right. We're going to fast track these cases, and if somebody walks up and executes a policeman, we're going to we're going to double dip them if we have yeah. to. We're going to come in. And we're going to do what's needed to be done. You've heard nothing about that. The one in Houston, man. I mean, it's chilling to think about that. Just, I mean, there was no remorse, no, no emotion. Just kill this, this, this guy dead. And you see his family. And then I'm sure you saw, I think it was last week that this, uh, this federal marshal, the young man who was killed, who had the, the wife, who she had the kid. And this kid is born and will have never had the opportunity to look his daddy in the eye. He was trying to do his job. Yeah. And, and he paid the ultimate price for trying to do his job. And and police, you know, everybody knows that 
every day when you walk out of that house, there's, there's a possibility you may not come back. I think every one of us can relate to a, to a, a, a particular time in their life, mm-hmm. in their police department days, where they could, could have been killed. I, yeah. I, I had two guns stuck in my face over my career. Did I, I, I guess my silver tongue got me out of it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being, I know I'm, I'm making it lighthearted, but all I did was do what I try to do best is try to talk them out of that, you know, and, and literally I talked both of them out of taking a gun out of my face. But I can look back at that and say those are two times in my life I could have died in that job. And, you know, it, I think everybody reflects on that. What we've created now is I'm hoping is either we're going to have police overreacting or underreacting. Yeah. Underreacting is going to cause policemen to get killed. Overreacting may cause innocent people to be killed. And that's that's what I got. It's not right with. either way. It's either way is bad. And we and the, but that's the environment we've created now. That you know, if somebody if you're sitting in your police car writing a report and somebody walks up on you, which happens all the time yeah. looking for direct you, your first instinct is going to be like this yeah, yeah. you know you're going to look for a Jumping, gun and, yeah. I mean this guy I don't know what he's doing right because it's become almost daily now so let me ask you this this show will will debut tomorrow uh, which is the the 10th and as as we sit here today recording the show there is an event happening where you're talk, calling for prayers for law enforcement uh, officers. I mean, I've got members of my family who serve as law enforcement. Talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, I, I, I do think that, that we need to, this whole country needs to find God again. I think we've, we've distanced, uh, you know, what prayer will do. I, I think that if more people... Uh, got back to God that, that things would would hopefully be better. I, I think there's there's been a lack of that. I I I, I ask God, you know, and I think people ought to ask God for, you know, is he is he going to intervene on the next police when they get shot tomorrow? No. But but I think we pray that 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 somehow this country finds a reason to turn this around and and not become what it's become and, and a shooting gallery, not only for kids in urban areas and shooting each other every day, but now these police officers that are, you know, literally filling up with gas and, and getting executed. Uh, you know, I, I think that people need to find uh, another way. And, uh, you know, I believe in God, and I believe God's got a purpose for all of us. And, and he's got a plan for all of us. And, and uh, I, I'm just hoping that people realize that, you know, there, there needs to be a, a turning point here. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, that, that there are, that people can reflect on this. And, uh, but you know, Clay, good people are sickened by this. Yep. And those are the ones that are going to be praying. I, I'm just going to be frank about it. When that. that clown shot those people in that church, the diversity of people who turned out to say that this is not acceptable. I'm talking white, black, old, young, who stood up in that community and said, we are one, we are not going to allow ourselves to be divided by outsiders. It was one of the most beautiful expressions 
of who we are as a country because wrong is wrong no matter who does it. We, we have problems in this country, and, and we, you know, we failed to address them in, in the last 20 years. Yeah. And, and I, I'm, I'm just going to say that this, this one, you know, there's incidents in your career that, that you think back on and, and you, you think, you know, I'm, I'm never going to forget this because it, if you just set a tone, and, and, I, and I use this today as kind of an example of, of what we've lost. Uh, I was working juvenile back then, which is well, was a year from hell because nobody wants to work juvenile. But because it, it, back then it was more uh, 14, 15, 16 year old girls running away from home yeah. uh, than it was any bad juvenile crime back then. Because I think there was a fear in children back then that you know if uh, the worst thing that could happen is that. Uh, the police let you go, and you had to go home. But we've lost that. But yeah. I, I can remember I was sitting in a, in, a, in the juvenile office one night, and I had a young kid, probably twelve years old, sitting in the interrogation room, and he had stolen something. It was it was not a big deal. It, it was it was relatively minor. But I, an elderly black woman came in. She told me that, that she was his grandmother, and uh, and she said, "What did that boy do?" <laughs> and I told her, and she said, "Hmm." He knows better than that. I said, well, you know, kids screw up. They make mistakes. She said, well, do you mind if I have a few minutes with him? I'd like to talk to him. I said, Uh-oh. I said, no, ma'am, I don't have a problem with that at all. Well, I was sitting there doing something, <laughs> and the next thing I hear is, is screaming and hollering, and, and she had uh, grabbed him out of that chair and had him down on that ground and was wearing him out. And and I couldn't get there quick enough, and I thought, maybe I'll just let her go here. <laughs> but we've lost that, Clay. I had a grandmother like that, We've man. lost that. You see, that generation yeah. is gone. Yeah. They believed that that child was a reflection on her. Absolutely. And she didn't want him to grow up with a gun in his hand right. and, and shooting or, or being killed. And by hook or crook, she was going to... And, you know, I'd love to know what happened to that kid. I really I bet, would. I bet, you, I bet you there was a part two to that story when he got home. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you just gave her half time. I'm sure she finished but the job. But, we, we, you know, we, that's what we've lost. We've <laughs> lost that in this country that, 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 uh, that, and, you know, I'm sure she was raising that child for whatever oh, yeah. reason. I don't yeah. know. Uh, but... There was somebody that was directing that child. You're going to be accountable. Exactly. And and now we don't. The grandmother's 32 years old, <laughs> you know? Unfortunately, yes, I see it all the time. Or or worse, uh, 42 and dressing like she's 22, which exactly. is never a good idea. So, Chief, man, I appreciate it. Now, so we talked a lot. The, the, the main thing that we wanted to talk about, we spent the last uh, part of the, the show talking about it. But I want to spend an hour just talking about the serial killer investigations. Will you come back and do that with me? Sure. Pat Inglade, one of the best men I know, talking about law enforcement, and we all should pray for the men and women who serve this country every day. Thank you, Chief. Thank you. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. 
Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Clay Young and John Conroy. John's the founder and owner of Pest Stop Do-It-Yourself Pest Control. We know that a lot of people are coming back from summer vacations and in addition to clamshells, you may be bringing something else back with you, John. Yeah, you may be bringing some bed bugs. How do you deal with that? Because these jokers are nasty, right? Well, well, they really are. And, of course, the first thing you want to do is you're thinking, okay, i gotta throw, got to throw away my mattress. i got to throw away my furniture. Mm-hmm. And you really don't. You know, it, a one-can solution is not going to work. I can promise you that. Okay. It is a very detailed process, but it is definitely a do-it-yourself job. Yeah. But you want to target not only the adults, but the eggs. And so we can help you... Ex- knowing exactly what products to use and mm-hmm. how to do it. And it's great. So you've got what we need. Where do we come to get it? In Metairie, we're located at 3512 Severn Avenue next to the Pepper Mill. On the North Shore, we're at 1417 North Highway 190. That's in the same shopping center as Sherwin-Williams. On the West Bank, we're on the Palco just past the Harvey Bridge. And in Baton Rouge, we're at 806 O'Neill Lane. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. Very passionate discussion there with former Chief N. Glade. Good guy. We'll get him back to talk about those serial killer investigations. I think you guys will be fascinated by a lot of what that is. And it was a good conversation. Some may agree. Some may disagree. Hey, we just put it out there. And that's all there is to it. If you have any questions for me, obviously you can reach out to me directly on uh, Facebook or Twitter or on the website at podcast225.com. Until the next time we meet, have a fantastic day. Hopefully you enjoyed the show, and we'll catch you next time on podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.